0: And if you do not have a Bible, you can turn to page 1256 in the blue one in front of you in the P-Rack. That's what they're there for. And uh, as with any week at College Street, whether it's me preaching or Nathan or Chad or any guest preacher, um, you would do well to keep the Bible open because we're here to preach the Word. And not the words of man, but the Word of God. And we have the privilege this summer of hearing God's Word from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. This weekend, we were up at my parents' house yesterday, and uh, Mindy and my sister-in-law, Tori, were looking through some of, the, uh, of our baby books. My mom drugged those out of the closet, and they were thumbing through and comparing, you know, which of our children looks like which of their aunts and uncles, and do you see them in, in, in family resemblance, And it's really, you know, it's fun to see that. Especially it's fun because it's your first year of life. It was, you know, it's your first year of life. You don't remember any of that, obviously. Um, My mother-in-law claims to be able to remember that far back, but I don't believe her. Um, But you can't remember, but it's kind of fun to see your parents caring for you. Especially for us, you know, we're looking at uh, my mom and dad and to think like they're about our age and, How I feel about my kids is how they felt about us at that time. And as a parent, I don't know whether you sometimes, I'm sure, get nostalgic when your kids get older and you like to flip back to those pictures of when your kids were younger and when the biggest problem that your child had was a dirty diaper. You know? Simpler times. And you look at the faces in those pictures and you try to imagine... I try to imagine, you know, what, what, were your par- what were my parents thinking then? And then you look at yourself and you think about all of the experiences and hardships and joys and all the things that that little baby has no idea are lying in the path ahead. As we've been reading through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, at times it's kind of felt like Paul has been thumbing through the baby book As he thinks back and he remembers what things were like whenever the Thessalonians were just little baby Christians. He calls them back to their shared memories. We keep hearing him say things like, Do you remember? Or you all know this. You remember well yourself. You know this. Last week he pointed to a particularly fond memory and he said, Do you remember how we were so gentle among you like a nursing mother with her children. Those memories were so filled with affection and tenderness that Paul writes, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves. Just as a mother shares her own body with her infant child, that's how dear you had become to us. We just wanted to snuggle you in close and share everything with one another. As we return to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 again, this week, Paul shifts gears now, not just thinking about his motherly affection for the Thessalonians, but also how he felt like a father to them. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you, to turn to 2 Thess- 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the point this morning, from verses 9 through 12, is going to be this. Paul, in laboring to be like a father is seeking to show us the Father. Paul has labored with this church to be like a good father, and insofar as he has done that, he is showing them a picture of their heavenly Father, and he's saying to each and every one of us, man or woman, brother or sister this morning, you follow me in striving to be like our heavenly Father. So let's stand together as we read 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness in God also how holy and righteous And blameless was our conduct toward you believers, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. You may be seated. So let me read to you again verse 11. This is the heartbeat of the passage, this section. He says, For you know how we were like a father with his children. That's what our relationship was like. That's how we acted towards you, church. And I think that what Paul is doing here in these verses, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, is he is reminding the church of his own example of how he acted towards them as a good father so that as we look at Paul, we'll see a picture of our Heavenly Father. So this isn't just... You know, Paul being wistful or nostalgic and sort of turning the, through the pages and saying, isn't this just, it's so fun to remember back and to think how things were. He's pointing back to how he acted and what their relationship was like in a way so that we will see how he is a picture of the Heavenly Father and then we will be compelled to this singular activity. This is the, the driving thrust of this passage is for us to labor to be like the Father. Labor to be like the Father. If we come away from these four verses with anything, it's this. Paul wants us to join him in laboring to be like the Father. On the night before Jesus was crucified, maybe you remember from John's Gospel, Philip comes to Jesus and he says this question. He says, Lord... Just show us the Father, and, and that will be enough. And Jesus says to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What Paul is showing us, and what we're going to realize as we follow Paul's example, remember Paul said, Be imitators, of, you were imitators of us as we were imitating who? The Lord Jesus. Why did the Lord Jesus come into this world? It was to show us the Father. That's why He came. He came to die in our place, the Bible says, so that we might be like our Father, that we could become the children of God and so become the sons and daughters of God. And what do sons and daughters do with their Father? They become like Him. And so if we're going to follow Paul's example, Paul says, I'm laboring to be like the Father. You labor to be like me, because I'm trying to be like Jesus. And Jesus has come so that he would show us the Father so we can be like him. Labor to be like the Father. Now, normally, when we talk about labor and delivery, that's something that moms do, right? So why is it that Paul would use the words labor and toil to describe his activities as a father? Well, not to steal the thunder from the moms, but dads do have some labor to do as well. It's not the same kind, Um, but let's read in verse 9 what Paul has to say. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. A good father never wants to be a burden on his children. Now, sometimes it happens, but a good father would never wish that he would become a burden on his children. He labors, he works hard, he toils. Paul said, I worked night and day so that I would never become a burden on my children there in Thessalonica. Elsewhere, Paul would say, I had every right. In any church that I went to, I had every right to expect them to give some money to support me so that I would be able to devote all my time to preaching the gospel. But what he realized was that these little baby infant believers, he was not going to expect them to support him. Can you imagine? Uh, you know, you come out of the hospital and then you bring that infant home, and all of a sudden you say, All right, you need to go to work so that you can support me. Is it making sense? No, mom and dad work hard to care for that child for a long time. Some of us longer than we would like, right? Um, But a, a good father is laboring, working with his hands. Paul, if you know Paul, he was a tent maker. So he is trying to be faithful to preach the gospel far and wide all the while. Staying up late at night, getting up early in the morning, building tents so that the Thessalonians won't have to fool with trying to support him financially. And this is actually how Paul operated in every place that he went, every single church that he planted. He writes to the Corinthians, this is why. We heard it earlier this morning. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. I'm not going to be a burden to you, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So all this labor, this toil that Paul is doing day and night, working so hard... It's because he is seeing this church as his children. And he's trying to be a good father. When Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he wanted to make sure the only thing that they received from him was good news. That there was never any burden, there was never any cost that came along with his ministry. He gave them the good news and that is all they ever received they gained everything from Paul, the gospel itself, because Paul was willing to give everything for them. Friends, this is a perfect picture. Paul's ministry perfectly encapsulates what God has done for us, our Father, in giving us the gospel. When the Father enters our world, when he enters our home, when he comes into our lives, the Father comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ who is the evangel himself. Jesus is Mr. Good News. That's what the Father has brought to us, and this good news comes to us without any cost. There's no labor for us. There's no toil for us to do. There's nothing for us to add to the good news that the Father has sent his Son to be our Savior and to grant us eternal life. And yet, what has it cost the Father? He, in giving us the finished work of Jesus from start to finish, had to sacrifice his own son on a cross to make us his. And the only duty for us is to repent and believe, for us to receive this good news in the person of Jesus Christ. And John writes, to all who do receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. This is how we have God as our Father. We simply receive the good news and there is no burden on us whatsoever. The good news is that we have a good father, one who labors and toils for his children, brothers and sisters. Then let us labor to be like the father. It's good to have my dad here with us this morning. Um, I'm sure many of you grew up in homes where this is what you experienced day in and day out. You had a father in your home who was going to work hard to provide for his family and to take care of his kids, um, whether they're living under his roof or whether they're far away. Um, my dad has always been so faithful. Maybe some of you didn't grow up in that kind of home. I know there are plenty of homes here in Newberry. Uh, I've heard story after story of fathers who didn't bring the good news into their homes. It's more like they brought hell into the four doors of their home, or four walls of their home, who took their paycheck and spent it on all kinds of things at the bar or on meth or drugs and didn't care for their families. I know there are probably some of you who grew up in homes just like that here this morning. And then when they did come home, did unspeakable things to their wives and children. But do you know what? In the household of faith, there should never, ever, ever be any fathers like that. Because we have a Heavenly Father. And we are people who are laboring to be like Him. No pastor, no missionary, no church planter, no father should ever seek to become a burden upon his family. My job as a pastor and as a father to this church is to be the one to pour and to pour and to pour until there ain't no more Chad to pour out. <laughs> And then when I'm all burnt out someday, I pray the Lord gives me a father here who will pour and pour and pour out in caring for me. That's the way it's supposed to be in the family of God. The sad thing is that in many churches, older Christians, people like me, people like some of you who have been Christians for a long time, we can have a tendency in our churches to actually become overbearing towards the new baby Christians. And here's how it sounds. We, we have these new members and all of a sudden we, we start to tell them things like, I'm so glad you've joined. You're going to help us lift our budget. Or we're going to get you plugged in so that you can help us lift this ministry. Who here has ever been to a gym and seen infants lifting weights there? David, you ever seen an infant? I haven't. And yet we have new believers come into our churches and we think they're going to be the ones to boost our finances or to volunteer in our ministries and strengthen the church when in fact we're the fathers who are supposed to be the ones lifting the burdens off of them. We expect these new people to carry us. It should be the exact opposite. Fathers carry their children. We provide for them. We teach them. We encourage them. That's how it's supposed to be in the church. New members shouldn't be the ones having to do the heavy lifting. We should be lifting them, encouraging them. So friends, I want you to think about this. If you are laboring to be like the Father, who are you in this church seeing as a child in the faith that you're trying to lift and encourage and care for? We just baptized two young men a few weeks ago. Who in this church is going to be the one to labor like a father? To be a father figure in this church to Tony and to Silas? Who's going to be the one that's going to come along and treat them like their own children, asking them how school's going? Teaching them how to read the Bible, how to pray. Encouraging them, showing them how to fight sin and temptation in their life. And this isn't, I don't, as we're talking about fathers, I don't want the ladies to think this is this is all about we're all called to be like our Heavenly Father. So we have to be a fathering presence. Who are you going to see as a child in the faith and say, this is my responsibility to take care of this person, to teach them. If you're a child of God, if you've repented and believed in Jesus, you were made to be like our Heavenly Father, so let us labor to be like the Father. So it's with this exhortation that I want us then to enter into verses 10 and verse 12, because verse 10 shows us, shows us, who the Father is, and verse 12 shows us what the Father does. So verse 10 shows us the nature and the attributes and the character of our Heavenly Father, and then verse 12 shows us the activities, the work, the duties, the labor that our Heavenly Father is constantly engaged in, and we see it in the example of Paul. So first let's look at who the Father is in verse 10. You are witnesses, Paul says, and God also, how holy and righteous And blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So Paul says, as I was living out this fatherly role in the church, these are the traits. This is the character that you saw us showing forth in anything that we did. We were holy, righteous, and blameless. And besides the fact that this is what God calls us to, and this is what brings God glory for us to be holy, righteous, and blameless, Paul recognized that him showing forth these characteristics as their father in the faith had a specific purpose in the lives of the believers. Who here has heard the term imprinting before? If Lisa was here, I'm sure she would probably be able to get up here and tell us way better than I'm going to try to explain how imprinting works, okay? Um, This is the gist of it. When you have baby chicks, especially goslings or ducks, you know, and they're so cute and they're pecking their way out of the egg and they sort of pop out of that egg, the first moving thing that they see, they immediately start to say, mama, mama, right? And they follow that thing around and, and Actually, early scientists, when they started to discover imprinting, actually found that these little ducks would even imprint on an empty box riding on a train around the tracks. Can you imagine that? A bunch of little ducklings just following an empty box. And the thing is, is those ducklings believe that they are an empty box. Or if they're following a duck, they believe and know that they're a duck. Or if they're following a little a human being around, they actually think that they're a human being. It's imprinting. So, brothers and sisters, Paul understood that Christians imprinted just like that. So there are these little baby Christians who are popping out of the waters of baptism, and the first living thing they see, the first example of a Christian they see, they think, this is what I'm supposed to be. This is who I'm supposed to follow. And Paul says, I realize all these Christians are imprinting on me. I better make sure that I look like the Heavenly Father. I better be holy, blameless, righteous like my Heavenly Father because I've got all these little baby Christian ducklings that are following me around and are trying to just be just like me. And I want to show them who the Father is. Paul says, firstly, you are witnesses and God also. How holy was our conduct toward you believers. We showed you how to live a life of piety, Paul says. How to live as people set apart for the purpose of God. How to orient your whole life around worshiping the Heavenly Father. From day one, Paul showed and trained these new little believer baby chicks what it looks like to be holy as your Father in Heaven is holy. Brothers and sisters, can new believers look to your life as a standard for holiness that they can follow and imitate and trust that as they're following your example, they're becoming more and more like their Heavenly Father. Do you realize that when you are listening to the Word, when you're giving your offering, when you're singing your songs, when when you're serving in the church or in your community, that you have young believers who are watching you and are seeing, this must be what it means to be a holy Christian. In good conscience, could you take a younger believer under your wing and say, imitate me as I imitate the Heavenly Father. Let's be holy together. Could you do that? Those of us who are biological fathers and have children in our homes need to realize the shaping influence that we have over the the little people that are following us around like ducklings in our homes and to church and wherever we go. Our children learn to worship their Heavenly Father by watching us worship. So when they look at you in church, what are they seeing? Are they seeing someone who's disengaged, falling asleep, not interested in singing, who never gives, who doesn't want to serve, who comes in the church and leaves completely unchanged? Or do they see someone who is hungry for the Word, who sings with joy, who repents who treasures the forgiveness of God, who wants to serve God and be holy. When they look at us, do they see a lead worshiper? Do they see someone who shows them what it means for their heavenly Father to be holy, holy, holy? Secondly, the Father is righteous. Paul says we were holy, And secondly, we were righteous. So Paul, you think about him in the marketplace selling tents. He's not defrauding his customers. He's not building substandard tents, you know, with substandard products that are meant to fall apart five days later so they have to come buy a new product. Paul's upstanding in the marketplace. His life is filled with the justice of God, right living, living according to God's design, God's standard, God's commands. Filled with good works, caring for the poor, the widows, the orphans. Caring for the sick, visiting those in need. The Father is righteous, and so Paul sought to set that same example in his own life. Once again, brothers and sisters, could that be said about you? If you had a baby Christian following you around in your life, and they were doing the things with you that you do throughout the week, Would they be doing deeds of righteousness or lawlessness? Would they find themselves visiting shut-ins with you? Would they find themselves stopping and making time to talk to that homeless man or the town prostitute that you encounter? Would they find themselves in a public school classroom reading with a child who has no father at home? Or sitting down at a table to share a meal with their lost neighbors? Fathers, are your children seeing in you an example of the righteousness of the Heavenly Father? How do they hear their dad speak about the poor, the oppressed, about violence, injustice? Do they see their fathers laughing about lawlessness? Is their father entertained by immorality and unrighteousness? The Father is righteous and so should we seek to be. Thirdly, the Father is blameless. Who is our Heavenly Father? He is without stain, tarnish, spot. He is vindicated from every wrongdoing and all sin. He is stainless, spotless, without imperfection. And brothers and sisters, I know that that's none of us in our own power. And so as we look At our Father who is blameless, we see ourselves in all of our sin. We should look to our children in the faith and say, Listen, I know that I have sinned still. I know that I'm not blameless. Let's together cherish Jesus Christ who has washed us white as snow and let's continue day by day to put one step in front of the other seeking to follow the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Let's follow Him because He's going to help us be like our Heavenly Father." So verse 10 shows us who the Father is. He is holy, righteous, and blameless. Let's finish up this morning looking at verse 12 and seeing what activities the Father does. What does the Father do? What did Paul do among the Thessalonians? Verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So just shortly as we wrap up this morning, three things that the Father, Paul shows us the Father, these activities that he does, he says we encouraged, we consoled, and we exhorted. And I'm translating these three verbs a little bit differently just to try to draw out some emphases from the passage. The first word here. If you're reading from the ESV, it says, We exhorted, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you. That's the same word that Jesus uses when he uh, describes the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that we even sing it in some of our hymns, paraclete. It's this word, the encourager, the helper. Think about this. The Father sends his son Jesus into this world, and he comes And he lives among us. And Matthew's gospel, he goes up on a mountain and he preaches his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Very creative sermon title. And the first word out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus sent from the Father only to do the will of the Father, only to speak every word the Father says for Jesus to speak. And what is the very first word he says to all of us? The word from the Father, it's this. Bless. That's the first word. The son opens his mouth and he says, this is what the father has to say to you. His first word to you is, you are blessed. That's what we mean when we say the father is engaged in the activity of encouraging us. His first word to his children is always a word that lifts our spirits that gives us hope, that does not condemn, but gives us great courage to continue to listen to Him because His words are going to be filled with grace and mercy and forgiveness and truth. How many times does the Father send a messenger in the Scriptures and the first words out of their mouth is this, Fear not. Fear not. It's the most common command in the entire Bible. God the Father sends messengers to tell His children, Fear not the encourager. And yet I look at my own life and I think about the way that I speak to my children as their father and how few times the first words, the primary words coming out of my mouth are not encouragement. Constantly pointing out their shortcomings, their failures, the ways they've not lived up to my standards. So often, that we think is our role as a father, is to point out the sin in our children's lives. But the Heavenly Father uses His words to give grace, to bring encouragement, to tell us that if you are hearing these words, if you have ears to hear, and you know this is me, your Father, speaking to you, guess what? Before you know anything else, I want you to know this you are blessed. Friends, may we become like the Father. one another. Whether you have children of your own or not, may our primary activity as the church of God with one another be this, of encouraging one another. Because when we do, guess what? We are entering into the same activity that our Heavenly Father is doing for us every day. When I come home from work and my son wants to show me, take me out back and show me how he's improved in his basketball skills and he wants to shoot the ball and Show me how well he can dribble. I don't go to him and say, well, obviously you're not LeBron James. I don't expect my eight-year-old to play like an NBA star, right? No, you point out the evidence of growth. You don't point to them, well, you've got a long way to go before you're going to be making millions of dollars. What's even the point of that? No, we say, wow, can you, you, you are improved so much you're growing so much. Just last week, you couldn't even have high and eye coordination to bounce the ball two times in a row. And look at you, you're dribbling all over the place. It should be the same way when we're talking with new believers. Yes, they have vast opportunities for growth, but we don't point that out. We point at the evidence of God's grace in their life. Look at how the Spirit's growing you. Last week, you would have responded differently to your son, but you said something different. Last week, You would have done this with your wife, or you would have acted this way at work, and look at you, you're exercising self-control. All of these things encouraging one another. So this is the first activity the Heavenly Father does. He encourages, so let us labor to do the same. Secondly, Paul says, we consoled. I know in our ESV, verse 12, it says we encouraged, but I I kind of like the, the idea of it being consoling. This is the same word that he'll use in chapter 5, verse 14, when he says, Encourage, console, comfort the faint-hearted. So you think about the activity that you would participate in if you had a child who came in crying from being bullied. Or they just failed a math test and they don't know what they're going to do. That's the kind of encouragement we're talking about. That consoling, wrapping your arms around someone. Why is it that when we uh, think about God, it's so comforting to us to think of him as being powerful? My son Teddy loves to run around and make up little songs about God at home. And he'll go on and on. One of the refrains he's always singing is, God is powerful, God is powerful. Why is that comforting to us? It's because when we're hurting, we know that God, our all-powerful God, is going to take those arms and wrap them around us, and we're going to be safe. That's the reason why little children love to think of their fathers as like some superhuman, superhero, that their dad is so strong and mighty, it's that they know that when they're with him, they're safe. And that's what, we, what it means when we understand God to be a God who consoles us. He uses his might and his power to encourage us. You're safe with me. In our church, when people are faint-hearted, when they're hurting, when they're crying, they need love, they need to experience the consoling arms of our Father as we wrap arms around them and care for them in the same way. The Father consoles. Finally, Paul encourages us to labor to be like the Father. He's shown us that the Father is holy, blameless, and righteous. He's shown us what the Father does. He encourages, he consoles, finally... He exhorts. Let me read to you the end of verse 12. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A good father calls his sons back to the path and to the way of the Lord. A good father testifies to the pathway of righteousness to his sons and daughters. A good father is the one who is constantly championing and shouting like the prophet Isaiah to the testimony, to the teaching, to God's word. Let's read that and let's do that. This is the pathway. These are the words that lead to eternal life. Walk in this. I can guarantee you, sons, daughters, anyone who will listen, you do this. You'll see Jesus and you will please your heavenly father. Isn't this what our Heavenly Father is constantly beckoning us, exhorting us? Hear my words. Listen to me. These are the words of eternal life. You will listen to me. I will lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. If we're going to do like our Father, we must be doing this in our homes, in our Sunday gatherings, in the woods, when we're running down pine trees, pine trails at Boy's Farm. Right, Nathan? We've got to be exhorting one another. Let us continue to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is the path that leads into his kingdom. This is the road that leads to the greatest glory to God. May our exhortation sound like the good father in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. We have a holy, righteous, blameless, heavenly Father who encourages daily, who consoles us when we're faint-hearted, who exhorts us to follow Jesus because Jesus is the one who leads us to the Father. So may we all labor together to be like our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come to show us the Father. And not only that, but you have come because you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you. But the good news is if we come to you, we have the Father as well. Lord Jesus, we pray that your Spirit would make us more and more like the Father, that as we labor, we would succeed. And as we become more like our Heavenly Father, we would rejoice that we are the children of God. It's all that, in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.